So we land Hebrews this morning. Can you believe it? Um, and uh, when, I, when I was looking at Hebrews 13 a couple of weeks ago, like you, some of you might have known that two weeks ago what I said was, when I looked at this and I originally planned it, I'd called this chapter the imperatives. And uh, because they are, they're kind of these um, commands, these uh, exhortations and, and saying, well, you know, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to live out your life. And what I realized that, uh, was, number one, was that I needed to go back to the imperative, and the imperative is Jesus, not chapter 13. Chapter 13 is the indicative that you have made Jesus your imperative. And I'll get into that if you don't know what, I was, what I'm saying, because I remember the first time I heard somebody say that, I thought, what are you talking about? But the point is, that's my, the title of my message this morning, As We Land Hebrews. And if you remember what we did was, um, I, last week I just reminded us how the book of Hebrews is this amazing book that bridges the Old and New Covenants. It kind of gives this big picture of uh, what the Old Covenant used to be, the shadow of it, and all of those kind of things. And that Jesus is that bridge that takes us into this New Covenant of grace from the Old Covenant of the law. And then if you're, this magnificent slide that Louise did, um, just that Jesus is not just, not, not, no longer just the promise and the shadow, but he's the reality and the fulfillment of all of those things. He is the true Moses. He is the true Aaron. He is the true sacrifice once and for all. He is the high priest, the true high priest. He's better than the angels. He's better than the message of the angels. The gospel is better than all of those things. And so important for us to understand the supremacy of Christ. And I said, well, how do we get into this, this, uh, this space? How do we connect and, and make sure that Christ is supreme in our lives. Well, these three things. It's through repentance, it's through forgiveness, and it's through faith. And if you want to go and, and find out more about that, you can listen to two weeks ago message. <clears throat> the point is, is that the practical implications of uh, Hebrews chapter 13 and the indicatives that are there cannot be there because cannot be there unless Christ is supreme. Unless we have made Jesus, as you've heard this whole morning, as Lee implored us, make Jesus your center. Make Jesus the one from which you live your life from. Because what the author of, and the writer of Hebrews has done is he's finished this doctrinal uh, discourse. He's gone into all of those details, but actually true theology results in a life-changing or transformative life that actually looks more like Jesus. And so we are not saved by works and performance, but we are saved for works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So my story, my story was one where I believe that I, I kind of grew up feeling like I needed to perform for God. I, if, if I had really good days, then God would, would kind of bless me. You know, and if I, if I had my devotional time with Him, if I did this, and so I would perform and I would make sure that I was working for God and that I was pleasing Him so that He wouldn't reject me. And that I felt and I had this theological understanding that, that as much as I loved God and as much as I'd given my life to Him, if I shouted at Louise and kicked the dog and then walked outside and got hit by a bus while I was in hell, and I would miss out on relationship with Jesus. And thank goodness I stumbled across the message of grace. Grace is the most beautiful, most far-reaching concept and principle that hopefully I can embellish on throughout this morning. And the point is, is that I saw that I am saved by His grace and by my faith alone. Boom. As simple as that. And so what I then started to see was how when I become a new creation, when I responded to the invitation that Jesus had laid before us, as you have too, is I realized that I am a new creation, that I'm born of an imperishable seed, that nobody can snatch me out of his hands. And so I've been saved for what God has for me. 
and I don't have to perform to keep it. I didn't perform to get it because Ephesians 2 tells me that it's that nobody can boast. And we think that we, oh, I chose Jesus. No, God already told us. No, you think, you think you chose me, but I chose you. I loved you first. I was the instigator. I was the one that drew. And that song that we just sang, he pursues us in a way that is unbelievable. So then I saw this, uh, I heard this message by Michael Eaton on, on oaths and promises and how God has promises, got promises over your lives. Every single one of you, God has got plans and purposes for. Jeremiah tells us that. We've got all of these things. And we've got these good works that God's prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And so with all of this stuff, what I started to see was, oh my goodness, God's got these promises and he's got these oaths. And the fact is, is that when he talks about all of these different things around salvation throughout the New Testament in particular, and he talks about crowns and he talks about rewards and he talks about inheritance, that's talking about this persevering faith that once I am a son of God, I persevere in faith to attain my inheritance this side of eternity and the next. And then he talks about these oaths like Abraham who uh, followed the promises of God, but it was only to that point in, in Genesis 22 where he decides, okay, I'm going to, God says, says I must sacrifice my son, immediately gets up and he takes Isaac to go sacrifice him. And God stops him. And he says, now that I know that you haven't even withheld your only son from me. Because the promise was actually that he would become a father of many nations. And by Abraham slaking his son, he's going to stop this whole process that God had promised. But he believed in God's promise and he believed that God would raise him from the dead or he would provide another sacrifice, which is what he did. And he said, because of that, I now declare an oath. And I believe God does that for each one of us. I believe God's got promises. And when you persevere in faith, you've already got your saving faith that has made you a child of God. You can't become unborn again. You've been born again. You, you don't, you know, when you're born, it's not like you can go back into your mother's stomach. It's done. It's finished. That's the picture. You are born. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. You have got everything for life and godliness now. Now you persevere through and the promises and you keep obedience and persevering and uh, long obedience in the same direction and then God declares an oath over your life. And it's all of these. It's not just one. It's a whole bunch of things. And I remember when, when, when I persevered and I persevered and then all of a sudden I, I don't doubt God anymore. I don't doubt his faithfulness anymore. No matter what goes on, I don't doubt it. God will bring this about and ultimately, obviously, for eternity. But God will do that for us. And so I, that was my journey seeing that there's a faith that saves me, but there's a faith that perseveres, that gets me into the inheritance and the crowns and the rewards that he has for me. So I stopped striving. The thing is, though, is that grace is not about earning, but it's not without effort. It's a Dallas Willard quote. You know, some people say, oh, I'm saved by grace. I can just sit back and do nothing. No, no, there's effort there. There's training that needs to be done. There is a cost to be paid. There's all of those things. And so the point is, though, is that I don't have to anymore. I get to. And hopefully you're in that same place because to give a Michael Eaton quote, he says, the whole purpose of salvation is for God's people to be zealous for good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. And so we are saved for a purpose. We are saved for what God has for us. So let's get into this text. And it's quite a lot to get through. And, and hence why I just stopped the worship a little earlier than anticipated because time is a fleeting. It says here, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. 
Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual, sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence that the Lord is my helper, and I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And so these, these five indicatives that come out, number one is love. Everything that God is, if you, when you try and define God, the first thing that comes out is God is love. We go to Corinthians 13, and we find out that you can do the greatest exploits, but if you don't do it with love, you sound like what? This empty, clanging cymbal, that, like that noise. You know when somebody you know, plays a guitar and it hasn't been uh, tuned, then God tunes you. No, sorry, that was bad. That was bad. That was a dad joke. The point is, is that when, 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 when love is there, then you're free from this, the envy. You're free from anger. Because when you read 1 Corinthians 13, it's not self-seeking. You're free from criticizing people. Or, and what you do is you start to bear all things. You start to believe all, the best of all things. You start to hope in all things. And you endure all things because love is the sustainer of that. Because you know that you are loved by the creator of this universe. Hospitality was the, the second indicative. <laughs> Nothing tests love more than somebody disrupting your routine, does it? Yeah, I heard sleep. So, you know, children, when you first have your children, it's amazing to, to have a child, but oh my goodness, it's a disruption to your routine. But also, in this context, though, is we're talking about hospitality, is often hospitality needs to be given to people because in times of persecution, in times of affliction and hardship, those are the times when we need to be putting ourselves out to help others that are in those moments. And I, I love this community because I think we do this reasonably well. Is it perfect? No. But I watch our people and we've got our meals team and we've got all of these things and people are sick and people are having children and all kinds of stuff. And we, we go and we, we gather around them. When people are, we pray for them. We, we do night vigils for them. We do all of these things that we've done to say that God come in and break in. It, it disrupts our routine, but it's indicative of our love for each other. Then it says, care for those who are imprisoned and afflicted. You know, most people in this context, they were in prison and they were suffering because they were in prison. But sometimes we as a community, we can find that some of us, the worst imprisonment is feeling alone. And, and even worse is being in a crowd and feeling alone. And so it's important for us that as Jesus left the perfection of heaven and came to project that planet earth and put himself out for us to be with the afflicted and to take on our sin, in some ways, many ways, God is saying we need to step into the world of those who are afflicted, understand where they are, empathize with them, and bring care and love, and in a sense almost get into prison as if we ourselves were being in that place. That's what, when we see Jesus as supreme, we are compelled to do. Marriage is this next indicative. Marriage is a picture of Jesus and his bride, the church. It's this beautiful thing when you go to Ephesians chapter 5 and Paul gives his discourse. It's like, is he talking about the church? Is he talking about Jesus? Is he talking about marriage? Is he talking about husbands and wives? And he kind of he goes through, oh, I'm not talking about this, but I'm talking about that. The point is, is that marriage and, and how we live out our marriages is a depiction to this world and a declaration to the universe of Jesus and his bride that he's coming back for one day. And so he's saying, don't defile that. You see, what we have now is 
we have uh, all these crazy gender dysphoria things, and the world's starting to go, what is a woman? Oh, I can't tell you what a woman is because, you know, now we've got birthing people, and we've got, I mean, come on. This, this world is just losing perspective on all of this. And even more so, the infidelity that's happening, as well as the fact is, well, we won't get married. We'll just live together and have children. So there's no commitment. There's no all of this. And then we just start to defile the marriage bed. As, as this writer of Hebrews saints, don't do that. Because we have all of these things with all of this junk that's happening within our world today. Let's honor marriage. That's why we do our anniversaries. And you know what? Marriage is not easy. Marriage is difficult. And there's some whose marriages fall apart. And we don't judge them for it. We actually bring them into a place of healing. And we bring them into a place where they can then move forward in terms of what God has for them. But the point is, is let's honor the, the sanctity of marriage that God has called us to because of what it is and what it depicts. Then covetedness. It talks about the, the issue of money. And it's saying, be careful you don't fall into greed because some people just chase after the buck and they chase after profit. And at the end of it, ultimately, all that does is it's deceitful. The love of money is the root of all evil, as it says in the Bible. And so we've got to be watched, not only chasing after it, but the careless use of it and to steward it well and, and to guard ourselves from wandering away from Jesus and creating another God that we serve. And we leave Jesus behind. We leave the community behind because we're chasing after the buck and the better car and the better house and the better this. Maybe you grew up in a, in a family where there wasn't much and whatever else. So you don't want that lack. So now you, you shift your focus towards something that is not other than your relationship with Jesus. So all of this talks about the fruit and the tree. And the imperative and the indicative. The, the imperative is Jesus. He is the vine. He is the tree. And the indicative is what fruit are we producing? If you are a peach tree, you're not going to produce apples. <laughs> it's that good old, if you squeeze the toothpaste, it's not caramel that comes out. It's toothpaste. What's inside will come out under pressure. And so all of this is, is are we putting Jesus first? Are we putting the sufficiency and the sureness of the fact that we have a Savior who has come and has saved us and will not forsake us, will not leave us, but will provide a place for us because he is the great high priest he was also the sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice. He's done all of that. And if we know that, then what we can do is we can launch ourselves. We've got a foundation, a platform to produce the fruit that he's called us to. And it's a natural outflow of our relationship with him. The next text says, remember your leaders. Thank you, Lee, for this morning and for just your message last night. Felt honored by that. And not that it's about me or about any of the other leaders, but just to honor your leaders is something that's really important. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God over you. Consider the outcome of the way of life, of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Or in some translations, it talks about false teachings. It is good for your hearts to be strengthened by grace. There's that word again. Not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. The point is, is that when you consider your way or your leaders, the, what, what is, let me ask this question because it's, what do you guys see as far as us as leaders of the church, as elders, but also the wider leadership team? How are we responding in times of conflict? How are we responding in times when things are tough? And our hopefully, hopefully our lives and our way of life is something to emulate. Hopefully, if we are working within the context of 
you are either working for somebody who's in leadership here, or you as a leader are working into a workplace, can people imitate your way of life? Or are you very different here from Sunday, but out there you swear like a trooper and use it as punctuation marks? What about our social media accounts? When you see what I post on social media, is it a depiction of a pastor who loves Jesus and loves people? Or is what's coming out of what I'm typing, out of my mouth, out of the heart the mouth speaks? What am I posting? What am I saying? Because sometimes when I look and I see some of my fellow pastors around the country and some of the stuff that they go on about, I go, oh my goodness, that's really unhelpful. I don't want people emulating that. So how do we navigate tough times as leaders? I must say, Bill Johnson for me has gone to another level. To watch he loses his wife of how many years through cancer, the very thing that they fought for in their community. And he gets up on Sunday and just honors God. And I remember uh, when we were part of the New Covenant Ministry Apostolic Prophetic Team, and one of the, the guys who was part of that, his wife died of an aneurysm in the middle of the night suddenly. And we had the memorial. It was actually after a team time up here in Joburg. She actually died away from her home. And uh, we went to Cornerstone Church where they had the memorial. And it was packed. And they were a great couple. And he got up and he says, please don't ask why. Please always go to the who. And that's what Bill Johnson did. And just want to honor him as one of the fathers of our current church universal who can, despite the pain that he's going through, can still point to Jesus and not get angry and bitter and resentful about losing his wife through this terrible disease because we know where it comes from and it's certainly not from him. So do we as leaders point to Jesus at all times? I'm hoping we do. If we don't, you've got every permission to come and tell us you guys are missing the boat. That's why you need to remember your leaders. Hopefully we are showing a, a place that you can come to and yet you can see and emulate that we navigate tough times and we navigate conflict and we navigate all of these things always putting our eyes on Jesus as Ian said in terms of the storms that we find ourselves in then what the next thing is is it I should have gone to the next thing it says trust in the the, is, is the next indicative is to trust the consistency and constancy of Jesus he doesn't change we're the one that's changed we're the ones that move not him and so this Jesus is the steadfast faithful Savior and Lord that we can trust in. It may not be in the timing that we want, and hardly ever. It's like, Lord, 11th hour, 59 minutes would be not so helpful. And we sang that song, Jesus is always pursuing us. As Louise said, I've got it in my notes here, Psalm 23, goodness and mercy, some of the trials will pursue me every day of my life. God is always pursuing us and wants relationship with us. And we're going to start a series at the end of August called, What Does God Want? And the simple answer is he wants you. But we're going to embellish upon that and we're looking forward to that. The point is what God conceives, he bursts and he fathers. And that's the one thing I know that in the 13 years, it hasn't always been easy. We've had some great seasons, but we've had some really tough seasons. But what I do know is that God, God is faithful. Because he will always father that which he births. And I'm grateful for that. Then don't get derailed by false teachings. This is an interesting one. Because I think most of the persecution actually happens in the church. When Wesley was out last week, we were talking about some stuff. And that morning, I'd, I'd, I'd seen this post on Facebook. And this guy, he's kind of like this watchdog for the church. And so he's, he's pointing fingers at Bill Johnson. He's pointing fingers at Hillsong. And he's pointing fingers at, 
whatever preacher is doing well in the world today in terms of celebrity status. And not that I agree with celebrity status preaching, no? but it's like, wow, have you actually gone to the church? Have you sat down at the table and, and asked that person stuff? No, you've taken a 30-second clip, and I guarantee you, take a 30-second clip from any of my preachers and you'd think I'm an heretic. Because you've got to look at context. You've got to look at what person's heart. You've got to look at what's been said. You've got to look at the lifestyle and how they walk out their lives. But with our social media and our internet today, we look across the seas and we start to point fingers in the same way that we will also try and follow those people and we don't know their way of life. And they could be unhelpful people. The point is, is when we prayed, I love what Anthony said, that we've got ancient paths. There are ancient paths for us to stay on. But often what happens, and I'm, I'm speaking to the youth now, those of you who are 10 years and older, don't look for new ways to express your Christianity. <laughs> These ancient paths, stay on the ancient paths. There's nothing new under the sun, as Ecclesiastes says. And what we have in our world today is we, we go from one thing to the, when a chewing gum loses its flavor, we want the next one. We want to go to the next one. We want to go to the next one. And we want to sensationalize Christianity. I promise you, a man... God coming to earth, becoming a man, living the life of a man, dying the most horrific death, taking our sin upon his life, resurrecting to new life. There's nothing more that you can add to that. And often you get these strange teachings that kind of want to put improvement on Christianity. And, and they're endless in terms of how they put these things together. And there's multiple ways in which they do that. The point is most of these things don't come from revelation from Scripture. It's a Muhammad or it's a, um, a Mormon, whatever his name was. It's, it's like they have their own revelation, which is outside of the Bible, and now they start to draw people alongside that. Oh, yeah, so Mormonism, I can have more than one wife. That sounds pretty cool. I've got one. She's enough. <laughs> but the point is, is, is you, what you do is you start to, oh, well, let's, let, let's, let's just prop something up because that's what I want. And so we, add to, we try and add to the gospel. We can't add to the gospel. And often these things that try and sensationalize the gospel, they lower the perspective of Jesus. And they put, they put the focus on themselves. And I know in some ways they're strangely attractive, but they draw us away from relationship with Jesus. And that's the problem. And I remember some years ago, some of you may have remembered Rob Bell and the Numa videos. I mean, they were brilliant. They, they really were. But actually when you started to now... All of a sudden, like when it got to the third or fourth one, the bullhorn one was like, oh, what's happening? Then he wrote his Velvet Elvis book. And you know what? 90% of it was amazing. But there was one little paragraph that just freaked me out. And he said, you know what? Theology should not be like a brick wall. I mean, we got nice brick, face brick. Should not be a, theology shouldn't be as, 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 as kind of staid and as structured as this. And on one level, I understand some of what he was trying to say. It says, because if you remove a brick out of the wall, the wall becomes unstable and can fall over. It says, the theology should be more like springs of a trampoline. Because if you take one out, you can still jump on the trampoline. But here's the way it got really scary. It says, like the virgin birth. You should be able to take the virgin birth off the trampoline and still jump on it. And I was like, huh? Like, you would choose that one. Like, if the virgin birth is not true, our faith is it's useless. Because we don't have the God-man God becoming man, conceived by Holy Spirit to live the perfect life because he was a man born in sin like every single one of us. Uh, wrong, whoops. And this whole postmodern thought. And then he went on to write a book called Love Wins. 
And what was that? Well, that was, well, ultimately, even when you die, you will go to hell, but the word for eternity is the word aeon, Greek word. And that Greek word can also mean age. So now he reinterprets out of context all of the scriptures that have this in there and says, no, we'll only go to hell for an age, but we'll come to our senses and respond to God and everybody will end up in heaven one day, so it's all fine. So you don't have to change anything you do in the side of eternity. Love will always win because God will win over you. No, that's universalism. The Bible is very clear. Man will live once, die once, and then judgment. Boom. And that's not to scare us. That's to draw us into this perfect love that God has for us. Hell was never meant for human beings. We've chosen that by our own volition, choosing those things. And so we've got to watch that these theologies don't take us into the wrong side of things. The other thing is, is it's not just about theology, but it's about the world that is pressurizing us into things. Like if you've seen in the States, the Roe versus Wade, which has been overturned now. And so now abortion is no longer a federal thing in the United States. It's gone to the state lawmakers and they can decide in their specific state whether a woman should be allowed abortion or the abortion rules, can I say. And even then, it's, it's kind of nothing older than 15 weeks of pregnancy and all this kind of stuff. And I've been following it, and I follow those, the kind of political commentators over this stuff and what it is. But what, what's bizarre for me is the arguments around the taking of a life. And when we read in the Bible, and we look at Moloch, and we look at Ashtoreth, and we look at all those, and how they sacrifice their kids, and we go, what? I mean, imagine taking your child, slicing their throat, and then burning them as a thing to an idol. But isn't that the same thing? That I can just sleep around. I don't have to confine my sexual activity to a covenant marriage with one woman. So now I can go sow my wild oats, but now all of a sudden a woman falls pregnant, and, and they're doing the same thing. They're sleeping around, and now they fall pregnant, but now they've got consequences of their lifestyle, which is outside of God's kingdom economy. And now I don't want that responsibility, so what do I do? I just sacrifice that child by getting an abortion to my hedonistic desires. We've just got modern day child sacrifice. I don't want my child that I've now conceived outside of wedlock. And I know people always go, oh, what if they're raped? No, we don't. Let's not go to those exceptions. Let's go to 60 million children just in the United States have been aborted since 1970. 60 million. Can you imagine God's heart? Anyway, we can debate that later. The point is, is that when we look, there's a thousand regulations in the law that cannot even come up to one moment of grace. Grace supersedes the regulations of the law. And it's a deeper experience of grace, not about food management. <laughs> like the, can you imagine the, the Pharisees when they say to Jesus, you know, that they even, they even, kind of tithed their spices. They went to their spice rack and said, I'll take the oregano and take 10% and give it to the thing. And I mean, can you imagine that? Hopefully you don't do that when you tithe an offer. Hopefully you don't go, well, I earned um, 7,655 rand, so therefore I'm going to go and, and then round up and round down. No, where's the generosity towards what God's doing in the church? Yes, the tithes there is an indica indicative thing, but if it's like, let me, let me go in 16 cents, you know. No. Just give of what you've got and work it out and round it up. Don't, get, don't go through this of trying to manage your, your, your food or your finances through that process. 
Just allow it to flow because that's what grace does. Don't cling on to anything that doesn't have an identity in Jesus because then good things become ultimate things which you worship. And Jesus should always be that ultimate thing. Live on God's grace instead is the injunction. You see, <laughs> the, the, this, this whole thing, when you, when you look about what starts to become ultimate things, is that I've often heard people say, you know, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm, I'm going to date this other person. They don't believe in Jesus, but I'm going to influence them. I think if I, over my life of, I mean, I'm almost 53 and probably would only have started to consider these things at about 13 years old when the hormones kicked in, but, but probably from there until now, so let's call it 40 years of my life, and let's say I've, I've, I've encountered 100 people saying that, I could maybe count on my hand how many people influenced people into the kingdom as opposed to those who were pulled out. And so be careful who you spend your time with. I love that, that saying. Show me your friends and I'll prophesy your future. Show me the people that you want to spend the rest of your life with and I'll prophesy your future. Because if there are people that are not, don't have Jesus as the highest, ultimate, supreme person that they want to have a relationship with, it won't go well. It can't go well. And to say that you're going to influence them, no. Why don't you wait for God to influence them then? Get close to them. So, and that wasn't for my kids, by the way. This was in my notes before anything else was happening. Verse 10. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Okay, so again, here we have three things that Jesus, Jesus is our new altar. So what used to happen was in the, in the tabernacle, you would have the place where they would slack the animals. Then they would take the animals and they would deposit it outside. They'd burn them outside. But then what would happen is they'd take the blood through the Holy of Holies to the holy place and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Jesus done exactly that. Jesus' blood was taken to the mercy seat in heaven and, and presented before God, which atoned for our sin once and for all. No more animal sacrifices needed. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. But here's the thing. He was crucified outside the city. So when we look at this thing and we understand that often what happens is, is we are caught inside a world and we are called to be, to live in the world, but not to be part of it. Not to allow those things to influence us. And he's saying to, the writer saying to these people, don't go back to your, 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 your Jewish uh, roots. You've come into a new covenant. Stop going back to those things. And yes, people are saying you shouldn't be doing this and they're criticizing you and they're persecuting you and they're putting you in jail. In the same way, with all of what we've spoken of, all the junk that's going around in our world today, all the, the worldly system around, whether it be abortion, whether it be gender stuff, whether it be all of this junk that comes into our, our context, are we going to be in the camp and just keep quiet and in the city? Or are we going to go outside the city and actually do what God has called us to do? Because outside the city, it's not comfortable. <laughs> it's not easy. But guess what? Jesus is there. And when we go there and we proclaim the gospel out there, Jesus comes. 
because he's already been there. He's already done what he's needed to do. Not inside this thing where it's all respectable and all kind of, no, I'm not going to say anything. No, I'm going to stand for the rights of what God is saying and what the Bible is saying about me, not about what people are saying. And so when we, we look at the city yet to come, as much as we are called to be an influence here on, on Project Planet Earth, our ultimate destination is somewhere else. There's a garden city that's been prepared for us. And so we continue to look at it, but don't, we don't get caught up in it. Because you don't want to be so heavenly that you know earthly use. But we keep. It's like when a, I've used this example many, many times. And my dad taught me this as a Durban lifesaver. Is when you're in the sea and, and, and there's lots of wash back and forth. You've got to keep. When you get in and you get out beyond the breakers, make sure that you've got a, just, you know, a reference point. Okay, I'm, I'm in front of that pole or the, the lifesaver's house or whatever the case is. I know you've normally got the, 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 um, the flags that are up. And also try and, try and see if you can't get a, one over here because you don't want to be going this way or this way or this way or that way. That's what that is. It's, it's this reference point to keep stopping every now and again and go, that's where we're going. But this is where I am. But that's where I'm going. And make sure that you're still on track on that narrow pathway that God has called us to, which is called the life of the kingdom, the side of eternity. So starting to come into land. Through Jesus, therefore, let us be continually offered to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others for which, for which such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work may be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So when we look at these more indicatives, no longer are we sacrificing animals. Now remember, when you sacrifice animals, it costs you. You have to go buy it, and now you're killing it. You can't eat it because it gets killed, and then it gets burnt. They take the blood, and they offer it as an atonement, etc., etc. So now when we look at this, no longer do we have this thing of having to kill animals and do that because we've got Jesus doing that, but we have a sacrifice of praise that we give God. Sometimes you don't feel like praising God. That's why in Revelation, you've got the four faces of, of, of praise. You've got the eagle, the man, the ox, and the, the lion. I love lion praise. Yes! You know, the eagle, uh, you know, some of you like that nice, gentle. Ooh. Yeah. The man praise of understanding your sinfulness before God and just, God, I surrender. The ox praise is that sacrificial one where you go, Church today, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. But you know what, Lord, to go worship you in the company of believers is the most privileged thing that I can do, and I'm bringing my sacrifice to you. you know, David was called a man after God's own heart. Why? In his deepest, darkest moments, praying for his son that's been born, Yes, out of sin with Bathsheba. God, don't take him. God takes him. It says he immediately got up and he worshipped. Yo. Despite all of David's sin, despite all of our sin, God's not scared of our sin. God just wants our worship and our sacrifice of worship to him. The second sacrifice that we give is by doing good to each other and by sharing. Our, our giftings, our financial reserves, our whatever is we should be looking after each other 
that is a sacrifice that pleases God and uh, takes us into a place where His pleasure is upon us. Now this one, it says, follow your leaders, submit to them. It's that same verse, wives, submit to your husband, with the ladies go... And it's interesting, if you go read political commentators, like there's a guy who's really good if you, wanna, if you like that kind of stuff, Mark Sayers. He leads a church in Australia, and uh, he, I think it's called Red Church or Red Point Church or something like that. And, um, you know, he's, he, in one of his books that he wrote, he starts off and you start reading this kind of narrative, and you go, this sounds familiar. And he's basically talking about Hitler and how Hitler rose to power and how that whole Second World War the church, universal, I'm talking about not leaders, whatever, I'm talking about people, have appropriated that um, inability to submit to leaders because of what happened over that generation. And it is, it's infiltrated the church. Like, and look, we, we've got, we've got a, a list of leaders that became untrustworthy, and we, we get that. But yet God's injunction is there's an authority that's given to leaders Yes, to imitate their lives and, and their way of life, but also to come and submit under it. And we see submission as this doormat, oh, I must just do what they say or whatever the case is. Remember, that, remember the injunction to leaders. Do not be harsh. Do not, do, do not um, what's the word, um, lord over people, all those kind of things. So there's, there's just like that, husbands, husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands. It's not husbands, make sure your wives are submitting. Wives, make sure your husbands love you. No, no, there's an injunction to each party. And to leaders, it says we'll get judged way more. I don't know about you, but uh, if, if my life with your life, and I stand up here and preach, I'm the one who's going to get judged way more than you. We, we might be on kind of a, 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 a level playing field, but when I step forward and Jesus goes, but Gary, you were the pastor, bro. You did that. Come here so I can slap you. No, not quite. That's not what God will do. The point that I'm trying to make here is, uh, Paul Tottle, and hopefully Paul will come and preach again in the not-too-distant future. He's planted a church, and it's going really well in Adelaide, and etc. But um, hopefully he'll come through, and I speak to him quite often on the phone. But he, he, he just kind of opened up submission for me. So let me give you the example, a live, a live example. Is Willem is going across to Botswana to go minister. That is not a harvest field that Willem has been into very often. There's another individual, a man, his name is Gift. What a beautiful name. So Gift is the one who has broken open that region, and they have, got, they have been preparing the fields for harvest in terms of salvations. They are going to go do revival meetings and all of that. That's what Willem's going up with, with Sean, etc. And so this whole process has been now, Willem, if he goes in there and goes, hey, I've just arrived. Let me take over the mic and let me do my evangelism thing. That's not God's way. No, no, gift is the leader and the one that Willem goes into and submits and comes underneath. They never received from Jesus what Jesus had in his hometown because they didn't honor and see Jesus for who he was. And Jesus could not do many miracles in his hometown. You won't receive from people if you don't see what they're called to and what they are and come and submit and honor what God has called them to and honor what they've been doing. Willem knows that, and that's why I can use the example. Because Willem has already gone on one trip, and he's going on this one. And he's going, he's driving trucks. He's setting up stuff. He's coming underneath to serve, to become the servant of all. And you know what will happen? It's because Willem is doing that, they both go up. 
because Geft's not going to lord it over Willem, and Willem's going to submit under it. And that's what the beautiful thing of submission is, is when you come into, I mean, the amount of people that have come in over the 13 years, they come to the first meeting. So sorry if that's you, if you're a visitor this morning. Please don't come up to me and tell me how to lead the church. You've just been in here for one hour. You have no idea of our context. And don't come and tell me that this shouldn't be and that shouldn't be. Because that's when you look at the person and say, I've got a Greek word for you. Futak. Anyway, I've gone for the topic. The joy of true, true spiritual leaders. I can tell you now, and hopefully you've seen this in me, there is no greater joy than to see people that I'm leading go further than me. My kids, Jordan and his swimming. I remember times when Jordan was kind of 12, 13, um, and, and that includes Sebastian. We used to train at the, the Planet Fitness and uh, especially Butterfly, I was way ahead of them. I was like, oh, come on, guys, catch up, you know. And then they kind of turned 13, 14, and then I just saw bubbles. Like, I, I would do half the set and go, oh, I can't do this anymore. I love the fact that Jordan is, is swimming SA National Sword Course in two weeks' time. I never made that. I celebrate that. I will celebrate if people with their preaching gift get up here and start to go beyond me, and I hand the church over to them in years to come. I will celebrate that moment. We are building a church for, for multiple future generations. Daniel, are you ready? I'm serious. That is our greatest joy is to see people come, come through. And so you can imagine that when people get grumpy, I, I, I honestly feel like, I honestly feel like Moses sometimes. And I know God has said to me, Gary, don't get frustrated because you will lose out on your inheritance. And I will. Because I want to represent God before you. God's not frustrated with you. God wants to see you come into what he's called you into. And hopefully I don't operate out of frustration too often, but rather bring you into a space where you can go beyond. I want my kids to go off my shoulders and not have to fight the battles I fought. And I've given this example, and it's come to mind now, so I'm going to give it. It's Chris Vinan took over a church in, um, in California, in Orange County, and it, there was a school as part of the church. And they had this massive donga that they kind of went through the property and kind of devalued the property. And when he arrived there, it was going to cost $50,000 to fix. I don't know what it looked like, but it was a lot of money. $50,000 today, in today's money, times by 17, can you believe it? But the point is, work it out, that's a lot of money. And they went, no, we don't have the money right now, we're only going to do it later. Ten years later, guess how much it was going to cost? Half a million dollars. You see, if you don't deal with the dongas in your life, then land up, your kids actually start to have to pay a bigger price for it later on. And especially as men and as husbands, deal with the dongas, fill them in. Rather do it now. Do the pain. Go through the pain of $50,000 rather than half a million. So what the writer is saying here is, please don't damage the joy of your leaders. I would ask you, don't damage my joy. <laughs> yes, I, I, hopefully I've got the humility to listen and to Make adjustments where I need to. And same with our whole eldership team. But make it a joy by coming in behind and submitting in and listening to what God is saying because we are called to equip. We're not better than you, like I said. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and a desire to be honorable in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now, may the Lord, may the God of peace, and through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead, 
our Lord Jesus Christ, that the great shepherd of the sheep equip you with every good, with everything good for, for good. Wow, Gary. Equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So as I land this, is you know that leaders, we actually need your prayers. We, 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 we covet your prayers. I covet your prayers. I know when people are praying for me, I can feel it. And I want to ask you, keep praying for us. Keep praying for me. Keep praying for Louise. You know, what he's saying here too is there's a personal contact. There's this, there's this thing of one of the things that has been one of the hardest things for me in this season that I'm in, where I'm working full-time in corporate plus leading the church and not getting to do all that I want to do is less time with people. And Louise knows this. It frustrates me. And I've got to be very careful how much time I do that because then I've got to work and then I'm working to 12 at night and then I'm not sleepy enough and then I get grumpy and, you know, yeah, and Louise has to live with it. But understand, you, this week Bruce has been trying to get a tender out. He's been working long hours. He needs your prayer. I know he looks like Superman and sometimes acts like it by jumping out of planes, but he needs your prayer. Leisha is counseling way too many people. No, and I don't mean that negatively. I'm saying there are too many people that are in need of counsel. We need to be praying for her for wisdom to be able to lead people to Jesus and let Jesus disciple them. It's hard listening to all the stuff and carrying the burden of other people's challenges and whatever else. Pray for her. What about Ange? Where is she? Kids. Ange was working three jobs over this last season. Because one of the ladies went on maternity leave and they said, oh, won't you just help out? Oh, and by the way, won't you do this and won't you do that? We won't pay you for it, but, you know, <laughs> just do it. Pray for her. What about Paul, who's, like me, you know, navigating this multivocational thing, trying to get the admin done, trying to get the worship done, but also doing all the work outside there? What about Rip, Paul, uh, Rich and Anita? Sure, okay, so they're retired, but understand that Rich is still working hard at kingdom business and looking at ways in which we can do venture capitalists to uplift and build bridges with poorer communities. And there's a lot going on behind the scenes. Navigating their somewhat retirement. Anita, who's launched a website and is trying to kind of be a bit more of an influencer in terms of her art. What about Louise, who's been studying theological studies with Michael Heiser, who you know, is bringing us this, this fresh bread when she does get the opportunity to come and preach that she did a few weeks ago, where we all go, ah, wow. We need your prayer. Pray for us, please. We covet your prayers. We're not perfect. Like I say, we don't glow in the dark. But then it says, the second thing is, you need our prayers. And I can tell you, and our team can testify that we pray for you. There were people we prayed for this week, this week where we met as an eldership, and we prayed for those who are, who are sick, those who are challenging, in challenging kind of contexts. I've just seen my father-in-law, Evan, was here, and I've seen him leave. He's obviously not feeling well. Those who don't know him, he's got cancer. And a tactic. Tactic standing by and watching somebody go through what he's going through. We prayed for him. We prayed for him on Wednesday. Please keep praying for him. Pray for one another. For Annie, for baby Annie, we prayed for. And there's others. Who else do we pray for? We prayed for a number of people. But the point is, what I'm trying to make the point is, we've been praying for you. And we do pray for you. 
The other thing is, is the reminder of what Jesus has done. Remember, he is the great Savior. He's taken away the sins of the world. He has overcome death for us, that we don't have to go through that. We might suffer death from Project Planet Earth, but we don't suffer an eternal death. He's the great shepherd. He watches over us. He provides for us. He provides and restores us through his grace. The biggest thing is when we've got a sense of God's presence, what can happen is, is we can navigate anything that comes before us because of the grace of God that's in and through us. And then he finishes off and he says, Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. For in fact, I've written it quite briefly. And we all go, what? 13 chapters is not brief. One day, Willem will tell you about his love letter to Natalie. We had dinner with him last night, and it was quite interesting and, 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 and amusing how he did something. But he can tell you about that. But we go to 13 chapters, and we go, oh, that's a lot. But it's actually not a lot. I'll get into it in a moment. I want to know that your brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all of your, greet all your leaders. Just notice that. Greet all your leaders. This letter is not written to the leaders. And all the Lord's people, those from Italy, send their greetings. Grace be with you. Now, we, we can go, oh, that's just like, I don't know about you, but often the, the intro and the end of these letters, we kind of gloss over because it's like, what is that? But there's an exhortation there, and they're actually quite important. Because the first thing that he says there, he says, I'm exhorting you that the word of God may seem like it's very long, but it's actually very brief, and it's already summarized. And we try and summarize it. We are called to actually go and expound the word of God, not summarize it. We are called to go and open up. You know that the text in John 21, 25 says that if all the works of Jesus were written down, there would not be enough books on earth to be able to contain it. You go, oh, whatever. No, that, that's what the Word of God is saying. And so the, the point is, is that the Word of God should not just be lectured on what's there, but it should be preached and expounded on because it's much more than what's written there, what God wants to say in and through it. And that's the most amazing thing. I don't know if anybody saw my post about the Ben-Hur book that was written and about the guy who went to actually disprove, and when he started to read the, the Bible, he encountered Jesus, and he wrote Ben-Hur, which was one of the most... Uh, prolific books sold over that, that particular um, era. And the point is, is that when we go in and we start to read the word, it becomes alive and it actually expands rather than contracts. So as much as he says this is a brief word and we go, what? It is a brief word. There's way more to it. And as you dig deep into it, it grows within you and it comes and it transforms you. It doesn't need to be, may this never be a lecture hall. May this, may, may this never be a motivational talk. Go rah, rah, rah. May this be Jesus. Jesus. We're pointing to Jesus. Get discipled by Jesus, not by us. We are being discipled by Jesus. We want to get people, yes, we disciple them to a place, but to posture them before Jesus to be discipled by him. And that's the thing is when the word's preached, and we heard a few months, a few weeks ago, I think, maybe a month ago, that the word is sharper than a double-edged sword. It comes to, to cut and to divide and to whatever. It does something in us, and what it is, it's an entire personality transformation. So as much as we talk about Enneagram, and I know Leisha is very much about this, yes, you've got a personality type, but don't allow yourself to be caught up in those negative stereotypes of that personality because God wants to transform you into who you should be in that personality. All right. There's a, like a, a, a news item that talks about Timothy, and he says, Timothy, 
Timothy's in prison. Now, this is kind of the proof of the fact that, number one, the, the language, right in the beginning, the language of Hebrews, the Greek, the, the construction of the sentences, the Greek that's used, is so different from all of the other letters that Paul wrote that most theologians who have any kind of weight in, in our kind of current context will tell you that this Paul definitely did not write this. He did not pen this, 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 uh, this letter. But he may have um, dictated it. Or more than likely, it was somebody very close to him who wrote the letter. Because it talked very much like Paul, but was, the, the language was so different. But again, you can see it's part of Paul's fraternal, because he's close to Timothy. And he's going to bring Timothy back in, in terms of once he gets out of prison, or now that he's been released. And then this whole thing of these other greetings. Like I said, this was written to the people, not to the leaders. It was meant to be expressed into a region, not just, oh, it's just for the leaders. So the leaders keep this here, and then we, we just kind of hand out what we need to, to keep you in, in check, you know. The indulgences that used to happen. No, no, this word is for all of you. This church is for all of you. And yes, leaders have the privilege of helping to assist in understanding and to dig deep and to bring out the truths. And, but it's all for us to read. It's all for us to meditate on. And then lastly, this closing benediction, which I, which I love, is that he ends in grace. He says, grace be with you. Out of all of this, the supremacy of Christ, and I love these two quotes from Dallas Willard. It says, when we receive God's gift of life by relying on Christ, we find that God comes to act with us. We rely upon him in our actions. And that's what this chapter is all about. Almost summarized the whole chapter. I could have just said that. But like I said, then what would you pay me for? Then um, That was a joke. Then the second thing is, a carefully cultivated heart will, heart's will, let me try that again. A carefully cultivated heart will, assisted by the grace of God, foresee, forestall, or transform most of the painful situations before which others find, like helpless children, saying why. So if we are not in God's presence, and if we are not inculcated in the grace of God, we will always be asking why, rather than who. And I want to encourage you that as we've looked at Jesus, and we've looked at the magnificence of his supremacy in all things, and he's made all the shadows, all the promises become the real and become the oaths, is it's, it's, I'm trusting that as we've gone through this book, it compels you to be closer with him. It compels you to open up scripture. It compels you to love your neighbor and your love your brother and sister. It compels you to be part of a community. It compels you to just fall on your face and worship him and be a person that is generous in heart and spirit because Jesus is supreme. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. And I'm trusting that this last seven months has been as good for you as I know it has been for us as a team, as many. And I want to thank all of you who all of you have given contributions and they've all been profound and, and hopefully have compelled us to love Jesus more.